Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. A southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. With me always is Jason. Uh, what's going on today? I am I am here here and present. That's about it, Brian. What's going on with you? Not too much. Same same as you. Um, so what's going on? What have you been listening to lately? Do you really want to know? Sure. Striper. Oh, okay. You know I know. So hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna back up. You sure. like the new Queensrÿche album? I do. I'm not a big Queensrÿche guy, and I'll tell okay. you why. I had a roommate in college who for one year straight that we lived together every day on repeat he listened to this like live bootleg Queensryche tape we even bought him tapes on his birthday and hope he'd play something else and he never did he played that Queensryche tape <laughs> multiple times every day for a year and i i just can't do it can't do it <laughs> i can't do I, it in the roommate days i had the same experiences with primus although i go you know oh, I dislike primus but it's kind of those things where you like have no choice to to listen to something i be- so i have flashbacks yeah. you know that i i will say i did listen to that record uh the moment the um um the cover billy idol cover song that they have uh, yeah, on that. Rebel Yell. That was kind of like yeah, oh, yeah. But it's the rest of the album sounds like Queensrÿche. It's 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 good. It's like Queensrÿche, but that I know you don't like the Striper. I saw what you posted in our group chat. I like the Striper, and, and I'll I? tell you why. I like the Striper. Yeah, he said that. I like it's ridiculous. One, the vocals are ridiculous. The super high falsetto. The guitar riffs are super crazy and heavy, and it's ridiculous. And the subject matter is kind of ridiculous, mm-hmm. and all that. I like I enjoy it. I can't help it. Well, you know, I saw them twice. Um, I saw um, Hurricane open for him, which was Kelly Hansen. Oh wow! Yeah, sings for Foreigner now. And then I saw him White Lion open for him. So I think I, but I, I had on cassette. I had the Yellow and Black Attack. I had Soldier Under Command. Uh, I think To Hell with the Devil was the next one. Yeah, that was their big one because it had like Honestly and. Um, Tell with the devil. No, it was in God We Trust, wasn't it? Not the album, God We Trust. Or is that a song? Possibly. I don't remember. But they they just came out with the record. I've been listening to it. It's like it's just oh, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I it's not good, but I find enjoyment sometimes in the ridiculous. And I'll tell you what, um, I won't go into too many too much, but the new Skid Row album, the singer that they have sounds really close to Sebastian Bach. Sebastian Bach. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty yeah, good. Right. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's not groundbreaking, uh, but it's good. It's fun. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, the Supersonic Blues Machine, our buddy uh, Fob has a new record out and has like uh, Anna Popovich and all these other people on it. It's really good. I was listening right. to it today, actually. So to any of the listeners, if you're just listening the first time or first couple of times, you are on the right podcast. Sometimes we go outside the ballpark. And I knew I was going to try to like segue into Queens. Is that okay? Can we, but we can do whatever we want. Wait, it's your podcast. We yeah. can do whatever we want, Brian. You're the boss. You know, yeah. the thing I did think about though, like when I, that's that new Striper song, it's like, it just occurred to me today that there, there's a similar similarity between Striper and Queens right vocally you know absolutely the, the, the high high range the thing you mentioned about the new skid Row, skid row singer is like you know i know for in in the, in the 
with Queens, right? People have accepted that Jeff Tate's no longer the singer. And yep. I don't know if there are still people that are hoping for Sebastian Bach to come back, but it's cool when you get a guy who has that similar kind of range and style and everything. Yeah. Especially when they played the old stuff, because you can get closer to doing that. There's nothing wrong with having a different singer or if you have to replace your singer. But when you go too far to direct a different direction and stuff, like uh, Motley Crue, right? When they got John Karabi. John Karabi is a great artist, mm -hmm. singer, guitar player. But that was like, the, the, it doesn't sound like the crew. They could have called themselves something else. I think they would have been better off, you know, which is funny. Talking about Motley Crue, McMars just announced he's retired right, yeah. from touring and John Five's joining them. So, it, hey, it, welcome to Metal Talk. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. Southern Metal Talk. <laughs> So the, uh, the point is sometimes you uh, go out of your spectrum of what you're listening to. I mean, I think yeah. I think you're a lot more open to a lot of different stuff than I am. I've been like totally into a Southern rock thing, just that, just that at all. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's good to get a little metal back. It's yeah. Queen, it's Queensryche. Um, so did John Five announce, did they announce that for sure? They did. Like, yep. They just did. like okay. not too long before we started recording, like a whole thing came out from Nikki Six and Motley Crue. Right. Well, it's amazing that Mick has been able to still play as long as he has. And, and he, you know, he's a very underappreciated guitarist. He has some great riffs, de definitely blues inspired playing. He started out playing blues bands, right? And dude, memorable riffs after memorable riffs and solos, and he's a consistent factor in that band. He's never not played with them. I just, I know Motley Crue's this big machine, but man, Mick Mars is the real deal. Right. And so he had to be in pain. Had so, to be in pain this last tour. Yeah, you know, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you can't, you can't feel good on stage like that, but uh, anyway, like, um, you know, to the fans, or to the fans, we don't have fans. We have, we have like two listeners. <laughs> Nah, uh, we have more we have than that reporters we, uh, we're too uh, modest humble but uh ironically enough and I, who knows if or when but we have talked about doing uh, a side project metal podcast so maybe All this is like maybe southern this is rock like, metal uh, talk you know laverne and shirley coming off of happy days yeah you, exactly right right <laughs> what sometimes there's spinoffs Right. We could be Mark and Mindy or we could be Laverne and Shirley. Right. Which yeah. spinoff from Happy Days are we going to do? Well, did you know that Mark and Mindy was a spinoff from Happy Days? Yeah, I, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when he was on there. Yeah. He had a couple guest spots, you yeah. know, early on. Yeah. So yeah. welcome to TV talk with yeah. Jason and Brian. Well, <laughs> interesting enough, you said the word spin. OK, so. Ooh, yes. Our so guest. good, Brian. I'm impressed oh, by that segue. I, we didn't even plan that. Clever. <laughs> yes, our guest. Our guest. Are you now? You want to announce the guest, or you want me to announce the guest? <laughs> I'll announce the guest because you. You announce to, the guest. You get to. You get to. I get to do it. Yeah. Him. I'll tell him. About. We have uh, Anthony Kryzan who played with the Spin Doctors in the mid '90s for a bit. You know, we never did, did find out how long that was, but anyway uh he and they opened for the stones at one point then and who i saw in minneapolis i saw the spin doctors open for the stones and the voodoo lounge tour in 94 but uh you yeah, man this guy's done a lot huh one well, of those guests came, played with a lot of people well he started out as like in some other bands but he was on record contracts to write songs and record with people even before he was the spin doctors he did a lot of work with John Waite, as you guys may know from his solo career or Bad English or The Babies. 
uh, and a bunch of other people. You know, he wrote, he's worked with Lenny Kravitz, like you'll hear that on the podcast. Um, he wrote the theme song for the Spin City TV show that had uh, Michael J. Fox in it. Spin, more spin. This dude yeah. does nothing but does uh, the Howard Stern Miss America theme. So, and he's got his own solo music out. In fact, he's got a song that just came out a couple months ago in August. That's really good. So, just a no reading as well. No reading, and he's one of those guys. If we had more than an hour to talk to, we could really, I mean, we we could really got into. It. He tried out for the Black Crows, as you guys will hear after Mark Ford left the band. So, just interesting dude. <laughs> So, yeah, and, you know, um, until they hear this intro, whoever hears this intro, on our chat group, do you remember the episode of the Bar- the Brady Bunch where Cindy Brady was like, I got a secret, I got a secret? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a That's that. us. That's us. That's us in the Black Crows ch- chat group. Yeah, but this has got to stay locked in the vault till then. Because I don't think, I've never heard any, well, we can talk about it after in the intro, too. So, anyway. Yep. Having said that, uh, kick back, relax, get something to drink, get leftover Halloween candy, and listen to our conversation with Anthony Kreisel. segment of the podcast you guys know i always throw it over to jason to introduce our guests that we have today absolutely brian it is always my pleasure to introduce who we have on this week uh you may recognize this musician from the spin doctors among other things he played lead guitar for them for a lot of time but now he's doing a ton of other stuff he owns his own studio uh has a solo career so we are happy to have on mr anthony chrysan how you doing anthony Hey guys, great man! Thanks so much for having me. I really uh, appreciate you having me on the show. Well, thanks for being on. How's everything yeah. in New Jersey? It's good. The weather's kind of nice. It's just getting getting cold too fast. You know, it's fall. All the leaves are falling. It's a nice time of year. But it's beautiful, right? The leaves are great. It is, yeah. And I live on like a house and acre, and we have a nice like woods in the back, and there's a creek and like a pond, and so it's pretty cool. It's like I, I write a lot of songs and get inspired in my own backyard. You know, which is kind of nice. You know. It is yeah. the Garden State for a reason. It's not, Brian, it's not all industry <laughs> and crime. It is, most of the state's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, don't, don't watch the news, man, because it's like, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all bad. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll yeah. just get rolling here. Like, Anthony, how did you get your start in music? Well, I, I started on the drums. Like, when I was around eight years old, I started playing drums. And my brother was a really good guitar player. And so I started, like we started, actually, I've been doing gigs since I was 11 years old, playing high school dances and parties, Wow! you know, so, so yeah, so, you know, I played drums and sang and like, I would sing stuff like Creedence Clearwater Revival and like, you know, Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and, and like Johnny Winter we do and, you know, that kind of stuff, classic rock, the Eagles. And so, so yeah, started doing that and played, played out a lot, you know, at, actually, you know, a few times a month at, at least. And then started, then I picked up the guitar around 13, 14 in high school and met a, met a guy and we started writing songs 
and like then we were like playing high school dances and and um you know playing our own original music which was cool and me and me and that guy actually ended up getting a record deal out of high school i got a publishing deal signed to sony which led to a record deal on chrysalis and uh so yeah just kind of been rolling ever since you know so with your brother being a guitar player i assume he's your older brother correct yeah he is yeah did he help teach you some stuff? Because you went from drums to guitar. I mean, was he was he a teacher? Or did you go somewhere else? No, he didn't really. I never, I was all self-taught pretty much. I mean, I think just being around music a lot, like my father used to play guitar and he'd like, you know, he worked full time. He didn't do music for a living, but he played like Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard songs. And, you know, my mother listened to a lot of soul music like Tina Turner, Al Green. And so that was kind of like, you know, kind of like, my early influences, which I, I feel like I still have rock, soul, blues influences. I love soul music. And so that, yeah, that was it. But my brother, yeah, just from like watching him play, there was always like, we had drums set up. We had a basement was like, my brother used to rehearse with his band. So there was always guitars and bass rigs and stuff in the house. So I would just pick up stuff and start playing. And, you know, instead of playing scales, I learned a few chords and started writing songs, you know, at a young age. And that's, instead of playing covers like I played covers too but I think songwriting is a gift the guys that write you know songwriting they, they start doing it right away they kind of hear things different than people that just are shredders that play guitar and practice scales you know writers sometimes hear things different and at least, at least for me that's kind of how it works right on so what what would what do you consider your first you know big break or bigger break Hmm. Well, I'm going to say out of high school. Well, out of high school, we got we got a record deal. We got signed to Chrysalis. But then I, yeah, I was playing with Noel Redding first. I started playing with Noel Redding. Maybe John Wade. I, I don't even know what happened first. But I think, yeah, having the record deal was first. But then I got signed to Sony as a writer and ended up getting some cuts. Like I wrote a song on the Poco Legacy record. Hmm. You, are you a Poco fan? You know, they had a record called Legacy. Yeah. And um. I, I was signed to like um, left bank management and Alan Kovac used to manage. He managed, he, he did that reunion record and he got Richard Marks to produce a lot of that stuff. But I was in that camp. So they said they needed songs. So I, I sent the track to Poco and Richie Fure and uh, Jim Messina, whoever it was. They, they loved this track with melodies. And I wrote a song called um, When It All Began. And that's like the lead off track on that record. It's real eagerly. And it's kind of their story about how, how it started for them. And then, but then I, actually I was recording songs at a young age before I got the publishing deal at a high school, I ended up meeting Lenny Kravitz and um, Lenny came to Henry Hirsch, who I was working with a lot. Henry Hirsch is the guy that recorded all the Lenny records. And uh, when Lenny was working on this, I guess the Mama Said record, I had a record deal on Chrysalis at the time and we were writing songs for that record. And we put down Stand By My Woman and um, the next day, Henry Hirsch played it for Lenny Kravitz and Lenny flipped over it and he called me up and he said, man, can I write to this track? And I said, sure, you know. So, so that, that's like, the, go ahead. Yeah, that's some of the earlier stuff for me, you know. How, how do you end up playing with Noel Redding? Well, that, yeah, my friend Frankie LaRocca, actually, he, when we got dropped from, um, we got dropped from Chrysalis, Frankie LaRocca was, he, he was um, working at Sony and he signed the Spin Doctors produce that record. And, um, but he, uh, he went to the, he met Noel Redding, I think at the awards or something. And um, he became friends with Noel and he asked Noel if he wanted to do a gig together. So he put a show together and it was me, Earl Slick on guitar, 
um, Jack Daly on bass that played with Lenny. And it was this big first gig we did. It was really cool. And then then we stayed friends with Noel and we played for about 10 years together until Noel died. Wow. You know, so that was we were good friends and we got to do a lot of cool shows. And, you know, it was a really good experience for me. And that was the gig that kind of led me to the Spin Doctors because we opened for it. We opened the show at, at the Wetlands and it was uh, John Popper, Eric Shankman, Aaron Comess and a few other people. And it was me, Noel Redding and Frankie. We opened up at the Wetlands. It was jam packed and we had a great show and they got to see me play on the side of the stage. And that was around the time before their second record came out. They had a lot of problems in the band with Eric. They were fighting or whatever it was. And I, when I got the audition, I nailed the gig, and that's how I got the Spin Doctors gig from playing with Noel Redding. Right on. You mentioned John Waite. What is what kind of work have you done with John Waite? I mean, this guy's done all sorts of stuff over a long career. Yeah, John, man, he's one of my favorite singers. He still is. Um, I've been, I'm still writing with John a lot. I played with John for a bunch of years. I played bass with John and guitar. I toured with him for a while, and um, and then, but but I wrote stuff. I wrote. Um, the Temple Bar record was a really good record for him. And I wrote about three or four songs on that. Uh, me, 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 John, and me, John Waite, and Keith Reed, the lyricist from Procol Harum, who wrote, wrote later, Write Your Shade of Pal. Yeah. We got Keith together and we started writing songs. And we wrote a song called In God's Shadow and some other songs. And uh, But then me and John just kept writing. But I got four songs on the Temple Bar record. I got a song on Figuring the Landscape. I got a few on that. I got a few on his greatest hits. And I got I have a new single coming out. I have three songs on his new EP called Anything. There's a song called Anything I Wrote and Produced. But there's a documentary coming out on him in December with the same crew that made the Netflix, uh, the Tina Turner and the Rod Stewart one. Mm -hmm. And that's coming out in December. I got a few songs on that. And then I think the single for Anything and the video is coming out. So, yeah, so I got, I got, Probably got about like six or eight songs with John on records, maybe more. Man, he's like in his fifth, fifth decade of being in music. Because he started with this, I think, with the what, the Babies in the seventies? Is that right? Yeah, the Babies and Bad English, and he's 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 a, he's a real solo career a real artist. Yeah, he's yeah. a real artist, man. You know, he does it his own way. He doesn't care about like you know he, he's you know he he doesn't really want to deal with the labels and stuff when i remember when he was signed to mercury i had the single i wrote a song called when you were mine it was the title track of the when you were mine record on mercury and that actually got a lot of play then he ended up getting dropped but john john likes to do things his own way he doesn't really like to listen to label guys and stuff and he's still out there kicking ass i mean he's got a great following and i think when this documentary comes out it's going to introduce a, a younger audience and people that really don't know who he was might like, even though he's got a big following now, but he's going to get some baby boomers and different people that might recognize some of the songs he did. And, uh, and the new stuff that I'm, I'm involved with is, is pretty cool too, you know? So we, we still got some bits and pieces together and we, we work together as writing still. So. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, always knew him from his solo work and then um, bad English. And then I just a couple months ago got found out about the babies and got into them. Like that was a pretty, that's a pretty freaking good band. Yeah, you know, I mean, I like when I first started playing with John and we were doing songs like, you know, Isn't It Time and uh, Head First, Back on My Feet Again. And um, with, uh, there's a few songs, um, I, for, I forget. Yeah, but I was like, man, I heard these songs before. Midnight Rendezvous, you know, the mm -hmm. songs that I heard before and I never knew who it was. Never was knew. Like, <laughs> it was fun to play. And John's like one of those guys, man. He just, he still can belt it out, you know? Yeah, I can. 
and he would get up front and you know he's he's pretty intense to work with i've had gigs with him if the monitor mix isn't good you know he he would really like sometimes like one one gig i don't know if he'd like to hear this but you know i was we were playing in in the the netherlands and he hasn't been there a long time the place was jam-packed sold out show and they're like a theater jam-packed and you know we were playing loud. We had boxes. Every, every every it was loud as shit. He tried to get more vocals in the monitors. It was towards the end of the night, and he couldn't hear his voice. So he put the mic. You know, you know what happens if you put your vocal mic into it's right to the speaker on the monitor. It's going to feed back. Yeah, yeah. He fucking he did that on the last <laughs> song, and he gave the sound guy the middle finger and said, "Fuck you!" right off the stage. <laughs> that, that's so, our tradition, so story, and, Brian. <laughs> and then we went backstage and like the place people are stomping their feet you can feel the whole club shaking and the promoter comes in and he's like telling john like he wouldn't even go in john's room john was so pissed off because of the stage sound and you know and uh the promoters tell me you gotta get him so i'm like john i go in there john can, can we need to do one more song he's like fuck that he's like we're fucking done man you know but and i thought there was going to be a riot man the place was going nuts you know kind of important for the singer to be able to hear the music <laughs> yeah well it's tough i mean uh, you know i'm um, you know the gigs when i do my solo gigs like i like to play loud guitar but like I'll, I'll do shows for two two and a half hours and I, and a lot of my stuff is bluesy type stuff at the top of mm -hmm. my range and my drummer's got like a 26 inch drum kit like john bonham and it's like it's it's hard to <laughs> sing above the band so it, it's it is it's frustrating you know so but i i'm i'm used to like if i can't hear my voice i can still sing and pitch you know okay but Cause I'm so used to doing gigs, even as a background singer. So, but you know, it is, it is difficult, you know, like now, now I don't even take out, I mean, I got so many vintage amps in my studio. I got hundred watt sixties, plexis and all these great amps, but they're too loud to take out to a club. You just can't sure. use them in these places. Right. So I'd rather yeah. use like a 20, 30 watt amp and crank it up. So you get into the spin doctors and there's a, what are the highlights? You know, of course we'll get to the stones, but what other highlights of, you know, being with them, helping your career any other you know bands you know at that time that you uh have camaraderie with or or cross paths with just you talk about your time in the spin doctors yeah well it was good i mean right from the very start like when i auditioned in la there was me and two other guys i got the gig and they they went and bought me a small little amplifier and and i got all their cds and i learned like all three records and some of the stuff off home belly groove and the first mm -hmm. gig we did was jay leno's show so that was pretty intense doing a TV show in like the first yeah. week, you know. And then no we pressure. did Far we, yeah, we did Farm Aid, which was really cool too, you know. So they were like really big shows, you know. But I mean, I, I was playing bars all the time and, you know, so I, I was kind of used to like, you know, learning stuff and having to be a pro, but it's different when there's cameras on you. But I, I think I I put in a lot of time like in, in, in the trenches playing clubs in New York and bars and blues bars and you know, it, it was a different level, but I think I was ready for it. And I, I I've always had a good work ethic to, to get my shit together and learn music without charts. And so, you know, stepping out with those guys, it was really fun live shows. I mean, a band that has hits and a following, it's like you get out there as nervous as you might be. Once you play a hit up front, the whole crowd is going nuts. So it makes it a little easier than, you know, jumping into something that's, you know, it's, it's already a machine already rolling, you know? Yeah. I mean, it helps too that they have a, a more of a, pop or pop friendly or sound like you're not going out and playing yes or like you know a big prog thing with all these different time changes and complex things to do yeah i'll tell you a few of the gigs we did like we had to follow up we had to play after tower of power one time in seattle huh? 
And I was like, oh my God, these guys are like, you know, a big band with horns and we're a trio and stuff. And then another gig we did was like at the Horde tour, we had to go on after King Crimson and it was Adrian oh. Ballou, Adrian Ballou, Robert Fripp, Bill Bruford and Tony Levin. And like, I'm like, oh my God, these guys. And we got, I felt like, like just a, like a novice, you know, you watch these guys playing, you're like, oh my God, like Tony Chapman with the stick. And I mean, and, uh, but we went on and they, you know, that stuff kind of went over people's heads and then we opened with, you know, one of those songs, they just go nuts for it. So. Who but, was um, on, who was on that Horde tour gig with you? What year was that? That was the one. I think it was Lenny Kravitz and stuff. And that that last show was kind of at the end of a tour, so we kind of split right after it. And I think we we're on the road for like a month or so before that. But one of the I'll tell you, it was cool. Like doing Farm Aid, like we got to see Neil Young or Crazy Horse. Like you know, we played the Superdome. And uh, well, what I'll start out. Willie Nelson, you know, has is, was ahead. Is we went on Willie Nelson's tour bus before we played. And like, you know, I was kind of nervous because we're on the walking by VH1 zero to cameras and asking you questions and stuff. But we went on Willie's tour bus and Willie's to Chris. He's like, hey, do you want to burn one? So Chris smokes a joint. <laughs> and then our guy comes up, hey, man, you're on in 10 minutes. So we're walking to the stage and like we're at the Superdome, you know, and like we go up on the stage and like Chris, we started. What time is it? Chris runs out and like trips over a monitor, but he did a roll and he made it look like it was natural. But I knew, <laughs> I knew he had to be so stoned. He's like, man, I'm so stoned. How, how could you turn Willie Nelson down? But I'm like, I, I don't smoke pot before I play. I'm like, there's no way I'm smoking pot. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a trip, man. But then, like you know, Neil Young and Crazy Horse played, and it was one of the coolest things I ever seen. Because when you're playing such a big stage like that, usually like the drummer's on a riser, you know, you're like you know, kind of far from the drummer and the bass player, you could throw a football to across a big stage. And Neil Young came out and he had like a really big Oriental rug, like just a throw rug. And he, he said they had little amps and they sat up around the drummer like they were playing like a little bar, you know, and it was the coolest thing I ever seen. I was like, that is so cool because they just kept the intimate setting in the center of the stage. You know, Neil Young and Crazy Horse, that was so cool. Right on. Big Neil Young fan. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I like a lot of Neil Young stuff. I mean, his stuff is so honest, you know, the early stuff. And and uh, that even the, the Harvest Moon record's great, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, Harvest Moon, like a guy named Chad Cromwell plays drums on that record. And I met Chad in Nashville and he plays on some of my new stuff. He's a great drummer, but he played on the Neil Young Harvest Moon record. So how do you get the gig with the Stones? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, when they, they got asked to open like... The Stones, you know, had like Stone Temple Pilots and, and the Chili Peppers and different bands open and we got asked to do it. And it was like, well, like, hell yeah, you know, but um, I was really nervous for that because I seen the Stones in like in the early 80s and they had Journey or somebody. It was Journey or somebody open for the Stones. And I was in the audience. It was like huge. And like they started booing the opener, you know, <laughs> and I was like, so our first gig was in Tampa Bay, Florida. And you know, I'm on stage and I'm like nervous as fuck. I'm like, man, we're going to get booed. I'm like, who the fuck, you know, the Stones don't even need an opener. And then we came on with Jimmy Olsen. They all started dancing and going nuts. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God, you know. I but, think Spin yeah. Doctor's music fits a little bit better with the vibe of the Stones than maybe Journey does. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was grateful to, to see how good it went over, man. Man, I, mean, I, I like Journey. yeah. But uh, man, meeting the Stones like the first time, like when we were sound checking, Charlie Watts came out first and he's like, hey guys, welcome to the Voodoo Lounge. I'm a big fan of the band. Come on back and meet the guys. And so he takes us back and, and we go to this tuning room 
and it's like it, it was uh, Ronnie Wood and Keith Richards, and they had like old some old guitars like Martins and, and uh, K Hollow Bodies, or and so Ronnie Wood hands me a guitar, and Keith like handed me a Guinness, me and Chris, and it was the coolest thing because these are your heroes and guys that you're kind of nervous to meet. You think they're going to be snobby or something? They're like hand you a drink and a guitar, you know. <laughs> So that was cool. Yeah, yeah I, I I saw that show at the Metrodome in Minneapolis. So that was cool to see you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, you've seen them, Brian? You didn't tell me this ahead of the podcast. <laughs> how, how were they? Awesome. Of course. Yeah, that was cool. How, was that, how was was that one of the playing? shows? Was that what? Was that one of the shows when somebody was doing fireworks inside the place? That was Vancouver, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember that in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very Canadian. Yeah. But for some, I have I think, a memory of like Chris like walking on a railing or something. I don't know if it was on the side of the stage or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we I forget what we were doing in the set list back then. We used to do we did Mary Jane. We used to go into a reggae thing out of Mary Jane. But um, yeah, that was that was just the funnest thing because we we only did like a forty minute set, and then I could go back by the soundboard and watch the Stones every every night. Cool. And then like get getting to watch those guys sound check was cool too because. Like Keith would really work the band, like Daryl Jones. They used to rehearse. They rehearsed like "Can't Get Next to You," the Al Green version a lot, mm-hmm. and they barely played it live. You know, and then one of the coolest things I've seen was when we were in Florida. They did that stripped record. They stripped it down and came out. It was just like it was uh, Mick, Keith, Ronnie, and Charlie, and they did like some songs like the strip thing. And it was just so cool because when you see a band that cool, they got all these girl singers and Blondie Chapman and uh you know lisa fisher and bernard fowler and then like a five-piece horn section when you strip it down it's so cool because you know it's it's a little bit less of a production you know and the songs come across you get to see how raw it it feels really cool and raw to see that you know did you did you get to ride in the stones motorcade no man no what no what was that when they pull out when they pull out of the show before the before it's over yeah well it's just steve gorman was in the black crows the drummer he has that in his book and he talked about it in a podcast one time. So I just wanted no, to. No, I never got through. to do that, man. But, you know, <laughs> at, at the time, like Mick Jagger had this bodyguard, this big guy named Roland. And like they'd say, don't come out of the dressing room between five and six because Jagger's going to be doing laps. He would, Mick would do laps. Like he'd run around and, and this big guy, Roland, would follow him in the golf cart and he would do laps around the thing before the show. And like, I was like, man, he's in good shape, you know, because to do that. And then he'd run around, they'd play two and a half hours straight and Jagger's all over the stage, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how he keeps fit. Yeah. So let's get to some of your uh, your current projects. I know you want to plug. Yeah. Um, let me think. So, yeah, well, um, so, so I got, I just put out a single called Strawberry Wine oh, uh, in August. Yeah, good song. Yeah. yeah. And that was uh, that's something different, man. You know, my last record, Dust and Bone, uh, the title track was recorded by Gretchen Wilson. She cut a version of it mm-hmm. and uh, Patch Travers cut a version and a, and a guy named Tim Hicks on Universal Canada. And Steven Tyler actually had it on hold from Aerosmith, too. So, uh, but, you know, I didn't want to repeat myself on this newer, re- the newer stuff. So I kind of... Mm-hmm. Strawberry wine to me has like, you know, if Prince and the Rolling Stones had a baby, it's got something like that, you know, it's mm-hmm. like Prince meets the Stones. It's got that 70s era Stones feel like on the Miss You, like the bridge is real, that and, and, the, and the the vocals I wanted did like a higher falsetto thing and doubled it. 
So that that to me, I'm pretty happy with that song. I'm getting a lot of play overseas with that in Europe. I'm, I'm on syndicated radio and looking to do some shows overseas with that. It's a very upbeat and like I would like a summary song, like a perfect time because it came out um, a couple months ago. Yeah, like yeah, at the end of August. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a good a good time for that to come out. Um, very again, very upbeat, a lot of cool energy. Um, who who played on that track with you in the studio? Um, I played guitar and bass on it, and my drummer John Hummel played on that track. And my horn section, I got a horn section. My trombone player Ben yep. Clapp wrote the the horns on that. And uh, Rob Cloris played keys on that. He he played with the black. Oh, group. good old Rob Cloris. Yeah, we know Rob. He's been on. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh yeah, you've had awesome. Rob. Great man. Yeah. 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 But yeah, Rob. Man, I love the keys on that because I, I I wanted it to be real seventies. Like a lot of people, a lot of people don't use the mini moog as much as like you know. I love the sound of the mini moog. You know. So the moog solo on that is real seventies. Like I always like the sound of records like you know Jive Talking by the Bee Gees or. Boogie on Reggae Woman by Stevie Wonder with the Moog. It's just a certain sound that I think is really cool. Well, you mentioned Rob and you, you're in New Jersey. Um, any uh, you know uh, local talent you know that, that you get into or whatever or no? I mean, we've had some people on. We've had I don't know if you know the uh, Jane Lee, the band Jane Lee Hooker and uh, Ten Ton uh, Mojo, Ten Ton Mojo, and Lizzie and the Makers, who Rob does a lot of shows with. Yeah, yeah. I know Lizzie and the Makers, yeah. I don't really, honestly, I don't, I don't go out and see that much music. I mean, I, I'm in my studio. I mean, I'm, I, I get booked solid. I do like artist development, work mm-hmm. with a lot of projects in here. But I do go out. I mean, there's a cool scene down in Asbury Park. I play there. Like, I like playing down in Asbury. But I, I want to get out of the area, like, starting, like, the end of this. I, I got a few booking agents, and I'm starting to get gigs out of the area. I'm trying to get on some tours and festivals for next year. Yeah. So. Well, tell us, tell us a little about your studio at Sonic Boom Studios. Yeah, well, I've been here about 25 years. I mean, it's pretty much like my main source of income. And so I love the whole creative process of, you know, making records and getting sounds. I mean, I, I have a lot of gear. I, I always have drums set up. And uh, I have the 1930s Baldwin Baby Grand Piano. I have a real B3. I have, I have some old, um, I have Olympic Olympic modules from the Olympic recording studios from the late 60s that the Zeppelin and the Stones and Hendrix probably recorded from. It's a silver wraparound console from uh, from the Olympic studios in the late 60s. I got about 12 channels of those. I got some old Neves. So I get a really, I think I get a really good sound because of the audio with with my recordings, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I work with young girls from 14 that are looking at this. Some, some people come in with great songs other people have to help them write their songs and it's just that I, re- I really love the whole creative process and what i do you know it, i learn stuff from other writers and you know I, I like to reference to other records but as a producer i like to avoid the obvious a lot you know mm-hmm. to not to, i don't like to sound like what everybody else is doing i mean i can do that but i, I like to try and make records that sound unique mm-hmm. you know sonically and with the parts and, and arrangements very cool, very cool. Anything cool. particular you're proud of that's been released through your studio? Um, probably, I think. I, I just, um, I work with Tom Marshall a lot. You know, the lyricist from Fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the jam band Fish. We, we, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got a podcast now called Sugar Maple. And there's a lot of people involved. It's, it's narrated by Fred Savage from The Wonder Years. <laughs> Yeah, I got a song called Lonesome Train on that and a bunch of stuff on that. And it's pretty cool. 
Um, that that may end up being the series they're talking about. Um, that would be great. But yeah, I'm proud of that. I mean, I, um, I got a new record. I'm putting an EP out. I got a song called Into the, Into the Groove coming with a video. That's a, it's a pretty rock and blues tune. I don't know if uh, yeah. did Kevin did Kevin send you guys that one? Uh, I don't think so. No. Yeah, I got that one with the video done, and uh, Chad Cromwell's playing drums on that one. The guy that I told you from, uh, he plays with Neil Young and a bunch of people, you know. But who else was here? I, I recorded like Robert Randolph recorded here early okay. on. I, I produced some stuff with Phoebe Snow. Yeah. Uh, the, the John Waite record that's coming out, I produced that here. Um, who else was here? Uh, I can't think. Yeah, I mean, just. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, John Waite stuff's coming out here. My, my own stuff, I'm, I'm pretty happy with. And So you do a lot of blues-based music, particularly your solo stuff now. I know Chris from the Spin Doctors released a blues album that's really good. Was blues a really big influence on you guys when you were together? Um, I don't know. I think I think they, you know, Chris always, you know, they like always love mixing in a few blues things in the set, you know, so I think... Mm-hmm. I think everything comes from the blues when you're like like a rootsy player, you know, like I, I was brought up on listening to Hendrix and, and the, the Rolling Stones. And, you know, um, my brother listens to a lot of blues. My brother can really play really good Delta blues. So I was turned on the blues a lot. And I, you know, I think it's something that just comes out of me, you know, but I, I, I like like I, I don't like to me, straight blues records, one, four, five records. I love a lot of that stuff, but I, I don't really. I like making records that have the blues in them, but yeah. they're a little bit more, you know, like it could reach a, a wider audience, you know, with songs that have the blues in them, but, you know, maybe with yeah. the, just the way, you know, in, interjecting some like R&B and soul changes and, and having the horns. And so it's got a little more depth and, and it could reach a wider audience, like the way Tedeschi Trucks and oh, other yeah. bands and yeah, even Marcus King, you know, they got the blues in their music, but the songs are, you know, a little bit more structured and, um, you know, have more substance and changes in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are two really good bands and performance artists like that. You'd probably mesh really well with if you got on, you know, got on a tour. Yeah. I mean, that's something I'd love to, to be involved. I'd love to get to play with some of those bands. You know, I mean, that's, it's right up my alley, you know. So uh, Mine too. You know, obviously, you know, you mentioned Hendrix and the Stones. So Jimi Hendrix, uh, Keith Richards, Mick Taylor, Ronnie Wood, those I would assume are all big influences. Who, who else would be your like main guitar influence? Um, well, I like Mick Taylor. I got to work with Mick Taylor on the when we had our deal. Uh, I was writing a lot with a guy named Greg Sutton. Greg Sutton's a great bass player. He played bass with Dylan in '81. Okay. And while he was in the band, while he was playing with Dylan in '81, he uh, he he was Mick Taylor was in the band. You know, so we started writing on this record and. And he said, man, we should bring Mick in. So he came from L.A. to here and we got Mick Taylor in and we just, you know, Mick came in and we, we jammed and we wrote some songs together. And the songs never ended up on the record we put out because the label picked songs that we, we really shouldn't have. We should have should have made the record with Henry Hirsch, but that's another story. But but yeah, like uh, we, I was recording Mick Taylor in my basement at the studio. I had a 16 track one inch and every take Mick did. He's like, let me do it again. And I'm like, I had to erase over it. And I was like, no, man, no. <laughs> but like, I mean, Mick Taylor is like, was, I think he's an influence on me. I, I love his slide plan and his feel mm-hmm. on those early records. And I like George Harrison's slide plan a lot, you know, because George, you know, there's a lot of, like some guys play blues slide, but like George Harrison, I think 
was more from you know i think when he got into the indian music he was he kind of kind of was got away from the blues a little bit and his solos were just beautiful and melodic and maybe got into like the mid-eastern type of things just like you know when you hear a guy like dark trucks i think dark dark is beyond the blues i mean he's one of my favorite dark is probably one of the my favorite like the best guitar players out there along with jeff beck that i like a lot you know i mean when you hear dark play slide you can hear like him doing that robbie shanker the mid-eastern indian stuff and and he can also play the hell out of the blues but he takes it way out you know Right on, right on. You know. So, Jason, but, um, are, we, are we close to a lightning round? We are, but I got a couple quick questions ahead of the, the, oh, the stupid questions. So, so, we have gear Car talk, talk <laughs> as well. But uh, before we jump into that, Anthony, um, did Rob Cloros play with you guys in the Spin Doctors for a bit? Was he doing keys or did he, just, did he work with like Chris Solo? No, you know, we had Ivan Neville in the band. Yeah, Ivan Neville played with us. Uh, I think we got Ivan. I think maybe for the Letterman show, or Ivan did about a year and a half of the tour I was on. So yeah, okay. it was great having Ivan, man. Ivan's like funky as shit, man, you know? So yeah, Ivan Neville was playing with us and we got to play in Africa with him. And we did, that was when Ivan, like God bless him, man. He he uh, he, he had like drug problems at the time, was drinking a lot. And man, he, he used to come to my room, you know, um, and he'd be like messed up and I'm like, you know, it's like on a three day binge and I'm like, Ivan, you need to go to rehab, you know, thank God he did because he wouldn't have made it, you know. Yeah. But I mean, we got to open for the Allman Brothers at Red Rocks wow. and we did a few nights and Ivan was on a binge, you know, he's probably like two or three days in and, 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 and uh, Greg called him up and then I was like, you know, he had the hat on and the glasses and the scarf after a few days of on a binge, you know. And he fucking played his ass off. I was like, man, I just, you know. But yeah, I, I don't want to say anything bad. Like Ivan's just the greatest guy, but thank yeah. God. He's straight now. He's straight now and he's playing great. But uh, man, he was, it was great to have him in the band. You know, he was just such a phenomenal addition. He's so funky, you know. What did you guys play with the Allman Brothers? We did Red Rocks, I think, in like, maybe it was 95. Okay. 95 or 96, it might have been. Yeah, that was, it was Warren Haynes, Alan Woody and Dickie Betts. That's that okay. Yeah, good. that's what I was going to ask you. Was it? It would should have been still Dicky, yeah, playing in the band. Okay, because Derek didn't come until what late nineties, maybe. Yeah. Well, at the time, like when we were playing, like I walked out on stage with a beer, and they're like, "Man, put the beer, put no booze on the stage, Dicky. Dicky's on the wagon. Nobody can drink." <laughs> and I'll tell you, when we did those shows, like I was playing, and like Dicky Betts was standing back behind me. And I was like, shit, our Dickie Betts is back there. But then when I got done playing, like Dickie Betts came up and shook my hand. And he said, I like your playing, son. Nice. And that was pretty cool. I was like, man, that was cool to hear that from I was Dickie gonna say, he's a He's a guy that's not going to, like, lie to you. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool, man. I knew, I knew he was behind me. I was like, man, better, better do something good. You know? well, Warren Haynes is no slouch either. Warren Haynes is still one of the great guitar player performers right now. Yeah, no, Warren's great, man. He's real soulful, man. His voice is great. His songs are great. All right, so guitar players, what is your what is your number one guitar right now? Well, and I probably have like forty or fifty like really good guitars, but live I've been playing. I got a a a, a red three thirty five. It's a mm. it's a Memphis Custom Shop two thousand nine. I just love the sound of a three thirty five, and uh, and I have I have a sixty eight. I mean, I probably got like five favorites. <laughs> but I, I have a red 335 it's a 2009 memphis i have a, a 68 last ball custom stock 
I had a 68 Telecaster that Mick, Mick Taylor signed the back of. What color is the Telecaster? It's a, like a kind of cream color, you know, yeah, blonde, yeah. Yeah. That was 66 Tele, I love a lot. I don't take that one out that much. I use it in the studio a lot. And then I have, um, I got a Jeff Beck, like when I was in the Spin Doctors, I was in a studio in LA and they sent some guitars over for Jeff Beck to try out. And um, Jay Black made this white strap for Jeff in 95 and it had these noise canceling pickups in it and this tremolo system. I got to play that guitar and um, I asked my guy to get me one. And two months later, Jay Black made me one. So I got that, I got Jeff Beck's personal guitar. Um, and that's my favorite Strat with the bar. It's just a beautiful Strat. You know? You're more of a and Gibson then, guy than a Fender guy? Um, I use, I use like, when I record a lot, I use different guitars. But live, I've been using the 335s and the Gibsons. Then I use a Strat. Like, I do some stuff a half step down to get the Hendrix tone with the fuzz pedal. Yeah. I use, like, I got a Nash Strat and I got a 64 Strat. And, uh, yeah, I, I mainly use Strats, Tallies, and, and Gibsons, you know. But, I, like, I, when I do gigs, I'll get in the open E on some guitars. And so I'll open E, open G, even open A on some stuff for a few of my songs. So I'll have, like, five or six guitars out. Well, 335 is very versatile as well. I mean, you, know, you, can do a, you can do a lot of different styles with that one. Yeah, it is. I, mean, I love the 335. Is it everything stock on that? Or did you, like, upgrade, change pick out, pickups out or anything? No, that thing's stock, man. I, I don't. I'd yeah, like to right. I think it's got either fifty-seven, uh, fifty-seven burst buckers, or, or the, it's either burst buckers or the fifty-seven classics or something. Classics, yeah. That's all. I was yeah. It means a custom shop. You said right? Yeah, that's a Memphis. Yeah, Memphis custom yeah. shop. You shouldn't need to have to do anything to that bad boy. I mean, that's that's no. like that's like a dream guitar. Yeah, it sounds good, man. I got another one too. I got a Cineburst two thousand one, and I got Lawlers in it. I like that a lot, but the red one just has something you know, something special to it when I plug it in. That red that Gibson uses, though, I, there's not a better color red for guitar. Yeah, no, I love the red, like, red hollow body, man. It's just something about that guitar. Man. I've got a red SG, and this is a color. I mean, that, that red, if I get a 335, that's, I'm going red. Like, how can yeah, you not? Yeah. I have a cool other red Strat. It's a, it's a relic body with a, a an 80s Elliott Mechanic 50s neck replica. And the Elliott Mechanic made some great necks, man. It's a beautiful 50s V-neck on that. And that's another cool Strat I got. Then I got, like, I have a 52 Gold Top Les Paul. That's all, that's a great guitar that I love. I don't take that one out. I got P90s? 50, P90s, yeah. Not, not, yeah, yeah. And I got a 55, um, 55 Burst that was, was, it used to be a Gold Top, but it was, finished at the factory in 58 with the pafs and that guitar sounds amazing wow and then i got a 69 no 59 and a 60 tv special i got a, a yellow and a red one and then i got a i've got a 2020 yeah. remake of the tv special over there it's great guitar p90s are in it love it yeah, I'll tell you, some of the remakes, like when I play the newer 335, I'm like, man, I love that, you know, because the old guitars, man, you don't, I don't want to take my old guitar out on the road anymore, you know, just in case something happens to it, you know. Yeah. You can't. They're worth a lot. Uh, amps, what amps are you using on the road? Um, I, I got a Vibro King. It's a 94 or 95 Vibro King that had some work done on it by a few people, and that, that really sounds good. And I have um, I have a '64 Blackface Super Reverb that just sounds unbelievable. And uh, but that that's kind of you know I don't take that out because a lot of times they're just so damn loud I got to put plexiglass. I can get a pretty <laughs> good sound out of the Vibro King. I'll use that because yeah. I don't have to turn it up as much. 
Then I got a 68 Plexi, a small box Plexi that I really like a lot. It really gets that, like that Dwayne Almond tone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of my favorites. And I got a little pen, a Billy Penn custom amp, a guy from New Jersey. I got like a 20 watt pen that I'll use sometimes along with a Princeton for small rooms. Okay. Yeah. You know, when you can't crank it up too much. And that sounds pretty good too. Oh, those Princeton amps are really pretty versatile as well. Yeah. Man, you know, playing little places, I'd, I'd rather have an amp that I could turn up enough to get my sound than have to put Plexi in front of a, a, a big amp and you just can't turn it up and it still blows out the singer half the time. <laughs> you know? Which the, the singer always loves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of pedals are you using? I got a tube screamer. I got a full tone. I got like a sweet honey overdrive, um, an octafuzz. And I got the one of those, um, what is it? I got a, a TC Electronics Reverb. And I got an old, uh, one of those loop selectors for the funky, like Jerry Garcia type thing. I like using that on some stuff. And then um, what's my delay? I got the, I have the new line six there. Yeah, oh, I got a box. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I got the. I don't use line six amps, but I got the line six delay because I like having three different settings. So they have, they have a new one that came out that's pretty good because my other one broke. That line six is like almost like a kidney shaped, right? With three different a delay. Uh, is there reverb and something else on it? Well, it's got it's got like three different delay settings you can use, but okay. it's got like the, all the old settings of the old ones and 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 new ones that are cool. But it's and you could mix reverb and delay. It's actually pretty cool that pedal. But I'm, I'm thinking, I, I gotta get like a I green get, pedal. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I yeah, want to get okay. some of the Strymon. I gotta get Strymon pedals. Like I know they they make some nice stuff, but I don't have any on my board right now. Okay. If you had to play a show, you could pick one guitar, one amp, and one pedal. What are you doing? I'd probably use my Red Three Thirty Five, maybe a Tube Screamer, and either the Vibro King or the Super Reverb. I think you could do a lot of damage with that. Yeah. But, you know, you got to get the super reverb up past five, though, you know. It's got to be up on, like, seven or eight. Well, what, what level are you putting your tube screamer on, then? Um, probably, I, I cranked, I put it around, like, two at, like, two o'clock, almost, like, everything around. Okay. Yeah. So, a little bit. You're not going all the way around the dial. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll use that with the full tone on the first setting. And I turned the treble all the way down on a full tone and I put it on like the, the first setting on that because it's got, it's like a, it's a double overdrive pedal, the full tone, but it's kind of clean. I like it because it, it, it doesn't get too heavy for the first channel if you need like a beefy rhythm sound. Mm -hmm. So I'll use that and then sometimes a tube screamer for, to take but it over. Are you adjusting like your, your tone and volume on the guitar while you're playing too to help out since you're kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I usually try and get like all my rhythm sounds out of the amp first, you know, and then, then for leads, I'll boost. When you're playing leads, are you going, do you like to play the bridge or neck or does it depend on the song? Yeah, it depends on the song, you know, but uh, I play a lot of slide too, you know, I play slide a lot, even with or without open tuning. So I play a lot of slide. Do you like set your guitar up different? Like do you check, change the string action or do you kind of still go with what the, the factory setting or recommendation is? I've got guys that set my guitars up pretty good, but I, I like I like it so it's low enough where I can rip and it feels good, but I can still play slide and never bottoms out. Without all the distortion, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. good the way I have it set up. I could do anything with the, my guitars right now, pretty much. Myself. We were chatting with Charlie Starr 
I don't know, a month or so ago, Brian, and I was, you know, he does a lot of slide and everything else too. And he just says, he goes, whatever it's, whatever guitar string height's supposed to be set at, he, that's what he plays. Yeah, he's great. Now, what kind of amps does he, does he use oranges or what does he use? Kind of no, he doesn't use oranges really anymore. Um, God, what did he tell us, Brian? I forget. He had, he just had, now God, I got to remember this. What, what was he, what was he playing with? I don't know. All I know is he's like looking for some more Marshall plexis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I got, man. But yeah. So those guys are playing big enough rooms where they can probably turn them up. But man, my, I have, I have my 68 plexi sounds unbelievable, man. I, I got a 66 plexi, a 68, and I got a, I got a really nice, uh, it's a redhead 69 redhead, uh, super bass like Paige used to use. Mm -hmm. That thing sounds unbelievable. Then I got a 70 Marshall that was worked on by Ken Fisher. So I got the yeah, other nice and I, I don't really take those out, man. It's just hard to get, get them up, you know, the level you could really need to put them at. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the Plexi, I, I could use the Plexi out of the gig, though. That, that I could tell, you know, it'd be pretty loud, but you could get away with that on a big stage. Yep. All right. Last gear question, because I know you have so much time with us, but money's no object. Pick a guitar that you want that you don't have and an amp. Man, I'll tell you, I I, um, I really like the matchless amps. Yeah, hear a lot about I, that, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get the I'd, I'd like to get a DC thirty, and then as far as a guitar, um, I would I'd love to get a Zamatis. Is it a, like what did Ronnie Wood play on the, in the faces? Was it Zamatis or a Zamatis? I call it Zamatis, but I have no idea the right pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have a sixties Zamatis, man, and and uh, yeah, I mean, well. <laughs> Yeah, I really do like the, the uh, matchless because it's like in between a, a Vox and a Marshall Plexi almost. Yeah. You know? Brian Boone was playing those guitars, actually. Boone Froggett from Otis. He uses mm -hmm. some Mattis. That's what I, I call it. I'm probably saying it the wrong way. Well, Rich Robinson yeah. plays them too. Rich, Rich Robinson did use those. Yeah, I remember from the Black Crows. You, did you guys ever, you had to run across the Black Crows because they did the Horde tours and all the kind of like running in the same circles as you guys. Yeah, you know, I, audition, I auditioned for them. Um, when they auditioned Audley Freed, it was me, Larry Campbell, and Audley Freed. No kidding. Really? Yeah, so, yeah I went to Atlanta to, to audition with those guys two nights. Man, yeah. Wow. Jeez. Because yeah. they, they went right into pretty much with the Jimmy Page stuff at that point, didn't they, once Audley got on well, board? that was before By Your Side. Yeah, yeah. I think it was maybe during, was it a, a Morica or after that? I forget. It was right after that because. Yeah, that's because that's when they kicked Mark out, man. But I went, it yeah. was funny, I was in Atlanta and we were in this little room and like, they had like half stacks and stuff. And, you know, it was Swen on bass. It was Eddie, what's his name? Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Harsh. Yeah. Eddie Harsh. Did he OD? I think he did. Yeah. He died, yeah. they said, from health issues. Yeah, but like, man, him and Chris, like I got in a room and like Chris was smoking joints the size of tampons. Like, yeah. and <laughs> and like, you know, like I produce singers a lot and I hear singers, they complain. Now I got to warm my voice up. Chris sang for fucking three hours in a little room and we had half stacks cranked and him and Eddie were chain smoking joints, you know. <laughs> and, and, this, and this is even better. Like we went out and we went out to the Cotton Club and uh, Lonnie Brooks was playing and we were there. I was with those guys having a beer. And like Lonnie said, oh, we got the Black Crows in the house. You guys want to sit in? And like Chris said, I'll go up. So Chris said, yes. And I, Rich didn't want to go. So Chris asked me. So I went up and sat in with Lonnie and Ronnie Brooks, you know. But um, so that was at the Cotton Club. But then after that, like I get to the studio. We did two night rehearsals at like five o'clock. And like Chris was sleeping on the floor. 
because he was out like he was out at a strip club and whatever he was doing party and he slept on the floor and then we get up and it was the same thing he's like smoking pot and started sitting just saying his ass off for a few more hours i'm like man that's like uh, it's just so rock and roll to see guys that like have that those kind of voices you know i think it's just you that's how you're built you know and how you can sing because i know singers that lose their voice quick you know and they come in they warm up they don't even party and it's like it's 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 probably either mind over matter or just having a strong voice well, we know his brother likes to crank up his his amp a lot too and you have to try to try to you know fight with that yeah no rich cranks man rich plays i think he's got some nice boxes and he, he uses he everything yeah, yeah, he's, he's got, got like got nice mattresses. Yeah, they, he probably runs the mattress and the box together, man. Those things are. That, that's such an awesome story because we've always wondered. I've always wondered like who else auditioned because I think the only thing I ever heard oddly say he goes, "Well, I think they auditioned some pretty well-known cats." So, but was that like were you there at the same time as oddly and Larry Campbell or? Were... No, no, it was different. I think because I was there two days, but um, I, yeah, yeah, Larry Campbell's great. I'm surprised you know, but Audley's great too. But um. Yeah, no, I got it because I knew I knew one of the guitar texts, and he recommended me. You know, so. Right on. But uh, yeah, I, I always love those guys, man. Those records are, you know, my favorite. I think the second record's my favorite, though. You know, oh Southern yeah, Harmony. Southern Harmony. Yeah, what a. Yeah. That's a classic, Stone Cold classic album. Yeah, I mean all the stuff on it, man. It's just really just real bluesy, dark, like heavy. They cover a lot of good bases. It's just really, it's fucking raw, man. Too, you know, it's really raw. Very cool. Very cool. Are we going to? So, Anthony, you have a couple of minutes to do some stupid questions with us. Yeah, sure. I'm. I'm uh, wait. I got a session coming. Whenever he comes in, I'll let him in. Okay, Brian, you got to do the intro. Jason, is it that time of the show? It is that time. All right, Anthony, we're going to ask you some dumb stuff. Don't think too hard about the answers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what was your first concert that you attended? Hmm, I gotta think about that one. Uh, I think it might have been Jerry Lee Lewis. But like I was such a little kid, I probably don't even remember, but I think my yeah. parents took me to see Jerry Lee Lewis. Somewhere in Jersey. Yeah, in Atlantic City. Atlantic City. That makes sense. What was your first concert? What was the first show that you actually played as a musician? I gotta think it, it probably I guess it was with my brother because I, I started playing drums. I was probably like 10 or 11. School dances. It was either a dance or a party. Yeah. I, you know, I don't remember specifically, but I think it might have been. What were you guys school. playing, though? Like at that age, what kind of what were you playing? Cover songs, obviously. Yeah, we were doing like Creedence, The Stones, Zeppelin, Johnny Winter, you know, Boney Maroney. I mean. So they wanted you at 11 to play like Bon on the drums. <laughs> I mean, I, somewhere I got videos of me playing rock and roll and singing it, man. Yeah, it's pretty, there's little clips. You got you to gotta find that and somehow get it online to your social media. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's funny, man. And what, one of the things I'm playing and like the, the drums fall and I, I pick it up and keep playing, you know. Rock and roll from an early age. Yeah, I could, I could sing it back then, man, before I hit puberty, you know. <laughs> yeah that's why women do robert plant and zeppelin so well because they you know they can hit not everybody can hit those high notes i know man it's way up there uh what was the first record that you remember owning uh i gotta think because like me and my brother used to share a room so um we used to i mean i leonard skinner was probably like one of my favorite early on first records as a kid i think 
was it scary? Maybe it was before. No, you know, it might have been either rock and roll or Al Green. Let's stay together. Okay, might have been. It's I, I, amazing yeah, to me, Brian. Yeah, my mother might have had forty-five. So I, I think it was like because, like I said, there's something weird that's still with me. Like, like great soul music and heavy rock blues stuff just is still in like infused in me, you know. But like, cause like I remember Al Green, "Let's Stay Together," hearing that song or hearing "Rock and Roll" by, no, hearing "Black Dog" by Led Zeppelin was just oh. one of my favorites, and that song just blew me away. You know, just that's that riff. A, well, as I say, that riff as a guitar player, that's something everybody wants to figure out how to how to play it. Yeah, just like hearing that song when it starts out with the the tape slowing down with that guitar thing with the reverb and then the vocal yeah. and then the, the drum beating that guitar sound just blew my mind as a kid hearing that page loved that backwards tracking or whatever that whatever effect he used on a lot of songs that's that's backwards yeah that's like hendrix i mean that's it's reverse reverb but you got to flip the tape to do that on analog because he did that that's, a whole lot of love as well and a few other songs correct yeah that's like reverse reverb like it's really trippy yeah <laughs> it's very trippy uh what are the last three bands or artists that you've listened to um i would say marcus king nice good young blood um, that new album yeah leon oh, bridges so good. yeah marcus king leon bridges and probably bob marley i think that's a well that's a pretty good combination yeah i still love reggae man i listen to reggae i don't, I don't really like i can play reggae but i just like listening to it yeah reminds me of being on the beach on vacation and a lot yeah. more warm weather than the midwest has right now i know <laughs> <laughs> i hear you person in all the cold weather your way it's a, it's in my my spot in ohio it'll be in your spot in, in new jersey tomorrow <laughs> yeah i'm ready man I, I have a sheepskin jacket and a fur hat so get I after like it. A, a rabbit russian rabbit fur hat man so i'm i'm ready <laughs> for it yeah. what's your favorite riff to play that's not yours that's uh, that's a cover riff hmm. maybe custard pie buzz that one's a great riff oh I yeah. love that song so much, yeah. and I loved when like the Crows and Page did it. I don't think that that song gets enough credit. I know it's on Physical Graffiti, which is an amazing album, but man, that is such yeah, a, it's just a, a great, great like riff. a riff. Yeah, that one's a good yeah. one. I also, like Stay with Me is a good one, but but I would probably say Custard Pie might be one of my favorite riffs. I love Custard Pie. That is such a that's a great song. All right, you can great you song. can come back anytime you want, Anthony. That that's just like that's your end, man. <laughs> All right, great, man. I'm down. Thanks so much. Man. <laughs> If you guys want to, I got to send you some of my new music. I got a new single. I'm dropping a song called Forbidden Voodoo this weekend. But then I'm put, I'm putting out an EP called Into the Groove with some stuff in about a month with a video. But if I can get you guys some songs to, to, to play on the show around this. Absolutely. You know? Sure, for sure, yeah. Well, this this one will come out in a couple of weeks from now. So, like, the timing may work out. We can do, like, the play in and play out with, with some of the material. All right, great, man. I'll get you guys some stuff. Yeah, cool. All right, last question for you because I know you got recording stuff to do. Give us a guilty pleasure song or artist. All right, hmm. well, when you say guilty pleasure, what, what's, what's something what? we'd be surprised to find out that you like? All right, I have to think about that, man. Um, I mean, are you a disco guy? We get a lot of disco. Abba, are you? BG. Uh, yeah, I mean. I madonna you know it's funny you say that because i just like i don't know because I, I like listening to, i have a new song now that's kind of got like i like to cop different feels like even if it's just a bass line and nothing else from a disco song but 
today I just kind of, for some reason, I was thinking about the song and I searched it just to hear what the chorus did. And it was push, push in the bush, <laughs> which was like some kooky song. I played it just to see what the chorus did. And it took so long to get to that part of the song, you know. <laughs> but then I, I love stuff like, I love actually, I, I could say a song like Freak Out, Nile Rogers, you know. Yeah. Freak Out's badass, like the riff and that and that the whole thing on that is cool. Yeah, funk music, man. Like, especially if you're yeah, a bass yeah. player or like rhythm dude, yeah. like that is like funk music. What, what what's better? Yeah, no, I lo I love funk, man. You know, like I I learned I used to like study the meters and James Brown and stuff and all that stuff. And you know, a lot of funk is repetitious, like the real funky guitar stuff, you know. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for getting on with us. I know you had a limited time. We appreciate it. You got a ton of stories. You got to come back and, and fill us in on some more things. Um, where do we send our listeners to go to find out more about you, your music, and everything that you're doing? Well, my website is uh, anthonycryzan.com. And I also have a Facebook page, Anthony Kryzan Band, or you can find me on um, Instagram okay. and all that groovy stuff. But yeah, my Facebook page or my website. But uh, thank you guys so much for having me, Jason and Brian. I oh, no. really appreciate it. And uh, It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Anthony Kryzan, thanks for being on. And uh, we appreciate that. Man, come back anytime. My pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks to Anthony Kryzan for being on the podcast. Uh, it was a joy. And we got to uh, hear about a lot of great things, a lot of great, great players that he played with. Um, we got to hear a story that we weren't expecting and this is what I was going to say in the intro, I waited till now, is that I don't think, you know, well, now people have heard it, but until then, I'd never heard any other stories about who auditioned with, for the gig that Ollie Freed got. I mean, it wasn't in Gorman's book, as far as oh. I can remember. I read that book twice. Yeah. And yeah, so I don't, I don't know if anybody, I've never, if, I think if people had heard anyone that auditioned for that spot. His style, his guitar playing style yeah. completely would have worked with the Black Crows. Right. I, I'm a big Oddly Freed fan. I know a lot of the hardcore Black Crows fans didn't like him because he came out on the buyer side stuff and with, with Paige and he was doing like heavier stuff. But I also dig that too. But Anthony's definitely had that pared down bluesy rocks jammy style maybe mm -hmm. and uh, anthony or not anthony but uh, uh uh larry campbell he you know he played on before the frost playing banjo and mm -hmm. who else he played with like uh levon and dylan and tons of people yeah, tons, of, tons people. of people yeah so so but this guy was great what a great career and like we gotta have him back on sometime because there's a lot more stories to tell for us for sure, yeah. And uh, so you guys had to listen to us talk way too much in the intro. So I'm just going to say. You want to talk more hair metal? Not right now. <laughs> Let's do another 15 <laughs> minutes of hair metal. Or not. Until then, always remember, Southern Rock is reverent. Blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Like my friend.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 